0: hey everyone welcome to episode 19 of parker x today we're going to have brett wood parking mobility consultant from kimley horn on and i really really enjoyed uh this interview learned a ton and i think you will too again if uh if you're getting value from this and enjoying it uh please share the podcast please like it please comment uh please rate it thanks hope you enjoy all right i'm lester mascot and this is parker x and today we're sitting with brett wood parking and mobility consultant for kim lee horn how you doing brett
1: doing great thanks for joining thanks for having me this is exciting yeah
0: yeah it's a good time isn't it yeah it is (laughs) so uh i usually just jump right into things so uh Give us a story, man. Where, where did uh, where did it all start for you? And how did you? And let's talk about what you're doing today.
1: Yeah. So um, just like everybody else here, I I, uh, I, I fell backwards into parking. Um, I,
0: I don't think Jimmy did though.
1: I don't. Well, I, you know, his story is that he, he he was an engineer that got into parking by decision. Yeah. Like None of the rest of us <laughs> did. So it's fairly random. But yeah, that's probably his problem. Um, <laughs> yeah. No. So I I I went to school at the University of Alabama. Got a civil engineering degree, um, was being educated to be like a roadway designer or something like that, and realized that I didn't want to design anything. (laughs) I didn't want to be liable if it fell down, if it caved in, any of those things. So I I went to get my master's degree in transportation planning and uh, started working at Kimley Horn out of that, doing transportation planning. And one day somebody said, we got a parking study. You know, can you help us with that? Um, And I geeked out on it. It was all about like how much parking a downtown needed and we built this really sophisticated model to figure it out that was dynamic and they could plug all these variables in, like what are the uses, what are the people doing, what's the parking look like now. What year was that? 2006, yeah, 2006 for Wilmington, North Carolina. Okay. first parking study I ever worked on which is interesting because I just got hired to, to do their update and so kind of full <laughs> circle cool. I'm back there again but um, so I did that and I really enjoyed it and I kind of became the parking study guy for our group in Raleigh North Carolina which is where I started my career and uh, I would dabble and do a parking study here or there um, Asheville North Carolina you know in, in the North Carolina region and then um, that 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 model that we created kind of took off within the company. And so I started doing it in other places too. So I was doing it, I did one in Henderson, Nevada. I did one down in Florida and kind of took off being the parking guy at the company. And at that time- That's what prop, you
0: create a good model. It's kind of nice, right? It, it kind of
1: like starts getting a little bit easier to- It, it does, it gets yeah. easier. And, and, and there's some functionalist to it and you can see the outputs coming out that are that are, that are are working. Um, and at the time at Kimley, we were, I think we were about three people doing parking planning, right? So, um, and it was really parking studies for our private sector clients and things like that. Um, and we, we hired Dennis Burns, um, legend in the industry, Dennis Burns, in 2009. And they asked me, did I want to move to Phoenix? And I, I'd never been to Phoenix before. Uh, the, the one precursor was that my wife, Brooke, she wanted to move. She was ready to move out of, out of, out of Raleigh. And she wanted to go somewhere warm, and so she asked me, "Is Phoenix warm?" And I, I said, "Yeah, yeah, it's kind of warm." It's kind of warm. <laughs> did you tell, her, did you tell her it's a lot warm. I didn't tell her it's a lot warm, and it's really funny because they, they they flew me out several times to go you know see the area, but but come May of 2010, they stopped flying me out. And we, we didn't go in the summer at all. Um, I think they wanted <laughs> that was to a hi- good choice. I think they wanted to hide from me the fact that it gets like, you know, blazing hot, 120 degrees in the summer. So we moved out there in 2010, September 2010. And that's when the parking thing took off. So Dennis kind of took me under his wing, got me involved with IPMI. Um, and that model that I had created for Wilmington and others, um, we, we, we transformed it. So it was no longer like an Excel based database. We created an actual software platform called Park Plus. Oh, really? Um, So we had a couple of clients that wanted to do it, and I said, if you'll take the ride with me, we're going to transform it from an Excel database, which is cool and does some cool things, to an actual functional model that's got mapping and visual components and real data inputs and a user interface and all these things. Um, The problem with those Excel spreadsheets is you really got to know them well you do because there could be one little error that kind of you do and 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 the moving it into this this gis geospatial platform allowed us to really make it more user friendly so i can give it to people and they can actually use it and um that took off and i went from being a kind of behind the desk consultant that did a parking study or two a year to now i'm on an airplane once a week flying around the country helping people with this model which dovetailed into doing all the things I do now: so parking management, parking demand management, parking operations, dabble a little bit in the on-street technology side of things, curb lane management, um, and now getting into you know the the new dynamic, which is you know the mobility realm and how that's beginning to influence parking with TNCs and, and micro mobility and, and the intersection with transit and all those things. So it's been really fun. So you've only ever worked for Kimley Horn. I've only ever worked for Kimley Horn in, in various places around the country. But yeah, right out of school, Kimley Horn. Yeah. It, it's been cool. I've been I've cool. been there for 15 years uh, in January, and uh, it's been a real wild ride. And and the beauty of Kimley Horn is, um, and, and maybe this is a, a fault for them for giving me this leeway, but <laughs> it's an entrepreneurial-based company, so if you have a well, passion for you follow it, um, and and I did um, to the extent that I could, and it's taken me here. So um, they've given me the rope to do whatever I want, and I've not hung myself yet, so it's good. That's good. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about some
0: of the discussions you're actually having with um – with cities today is it mostly it's mostly cities municipalities
1: or i'm i'm probably 60 percent cities municipalities 40 percent uh college campuses so i do a lot of work at college campuses just kicked off one for my alma mater at the university of alabama which is which is fantastic yeah it is it gets me giddy going (laughs) on campus to do this work but yeah but yeah mostly municipalities but they're dealing with the same thing so they're all dealing with this changing demographic the people that are using the cities and campuses are changing and what they want is changing um, and parking is is changing and evolving because of that so so how much education is involved before you can even really start your job when uh, you're doing that so it's interesting because it, and it's different everywhere i go sometimes i'm educating our direct clients about Well, that's
0: you know, what i mean like how much of it is like really teaching them about like r- what they need to be
1: right so with? so sometimes i mean you know i i they're they're old school and, yeah. and they want to keep doing parking the way we've always done it and so it's educating them about why they've got to change the way they do their business sometimes they are ready and they're on board and they've hired us to come in and help educate the people that they um, either lead or they interact with or their stakeholders and so there's there's a huge component of dealing with stakeholders and kind of getting them on board with why things are changing Um, whether that's a a faculty staff group or, or students at a university or elected officials in cities and things like that but we we spend a lot of time in our studies nowadays uh, engaging in one-on-one discussions about what's changing, um, why it's changing, what are the trade-offs, and and what that means, so that people actually make better decisions on the back end of of our studies when we roll them out. so
0: What do you what do you feel like the the biggest pressure is that that people are trying to deal with? Like, what, what's usually caused them to to go down this path? Obviously, something's not working or something's different.
1: Yeah. So, um, what's the
0: pain point? The, the they're pain, trying to solve.
1: Yeah, so the pain point in a lot of places that we're working right now is 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 the curb is curb lane management. Um, especially in cities, right? So sure. primarily it's been the domain of on-street parking for, I don't know, 100 years since they put the parking meters in, in Oklahoma City back in the 30s. Um, and, and that's what we've managed it for. But, but really over the last three or four years, that has evolved dramatically. And now you're seeing Uber and Lyft start influencing the curve. So So places like Washington, D.C. are changing their policy away from parking to passenger loading or it's commercial loading and how do we enable FedEx, UPS, Amazon to get to the curb and then monetize that transaction so that they don't abuse the curb and then enforce it, which becomes this weird. I didn't even think about delivery as being part of that equation. Oh yeah, it's huge. It's huge. And um, like those companies, uh, what we found is we'll talk to them and, you know, they build in hundreds of thousands of dollars into their budget every year just for tickets. Because their their business model is drive up, deliver, get out. I've never even thought about it this way. I mean, that's like they're double parking and all kinds oh, of yeah. crazy stuff. Just oh yeah, to and and you you set up commercial loading zones to try to, to try to capture that. And and you know, I worked in Charlotte, North Carolina about eight years ago doing a curb lane management study, and we we tried to structure loading zones so that they were feasible. You know, if I'm a beer delivery guy, I can I can park and do four or five deliveries in 45 minutes and then get back in. And what we found was, you know, they're all on board with that, but then they don't really follow the rules because they're going to park right in front of the the bar that they're delivering to or, or in the middle of the street. Middle like of the a, street. Yeah. And and our enforcement officers are already so taxed, they can't actually get to the delivery vehicle, right? Okay. So so we can't enforce it. It's hard to monetize it and it's hard to manage the space, and so they end up everywhere um and so we've been working in a realm where we're trying to think about technologies whether it's a pay by phone technology or an in car metering technology that we can set up with these uh, delivery drivers where it monetizes it, it 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 uh captures data to understand like how long they're parking and where they're parking and then we can adapt policy with that uh but it's it's difficult and
0: you know, i was in dc <laughs> i noticed um and i don't think i've ever noticed this anywhere else but every time i called an uber like I had to go to a certain spot to get picked up. Like I couldn't just it would drop me off wherever I wanted to, but I couldn't get picked up just anywhere I wanted.
1: Right. So, and airports have they've they've they've, they've that. handled that really well and and we all have to do it at airports and and Uber and Lyft have to play ball at airports. Um, it's not always in those convenient airports. It's though. not. It's not like you have to go down. I don't what know level you, is it on? It's always in some obscure place. Have too. you ever gone through Atlanta, Hartsville-Jackson? Yeah, I haven't Atlanta yet. But. Okay, so their Uber lift <laughs> is about a mile and a half away from the For from really? the terminal. So you walk forever, <laughs> but they've separated it. Seattle does it well because it's in the bottom of their of their parking garage, and they corral it pretty okay. well down there. But, but they've gotten their arms around it. I remember the first time I ever took an Uber from an airport. Like he came and picked me up on the curb. And he jumps out of the car and comes and gives me a hug and, and whispers in my ear, play along. I'm not supposed to be picking you up here. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was great. But they've got it. But the cities, like DC, doing that type of thing. And uh, it's hard to actually corral Ubers and Lyfts. I, I, I equate it to like trying to capture. A swarm of bees with a net like they're just going to keep flying through the net right well yeah they
0: just pull the sticker out of their window and they how did. do you know
1: well and they're they're moving so quick like the pickup drop-off takes 45 seconds again yeah. how do you enforce that unless you've got somebody standing there so so brandy stanley was telling me in in vegas they did some curb lane stuff with tncs and they had pickup and drop-off and when they had somebody standing at the pickup and drop-off it worked well and when they didn't it went back to chaos um, so it, it's difficult. And, and, and so we're trying to think of ways to partner with Uber and Lyft and create those pickup and drop-offs. Um, but you've got two two dynamics. Like the drivers won't won't behave and, and the users won't behave. They want to be picked up right where they're at. So. You
0: know, too, I mean, a lot of those drivers are, some of them are experienced, but a lot of them aren't. No. So
1: they don't know. No, I, it amazes me <laughs> the number of people that are driving for Uber that's a side hustle or whatever. And, and you know, just, they've never driven a taxi or anything like that never. before just doing it. Um, but it's it's... It's hard. And that's a big one right now. Everybody wants to talk about how do we manage. I've noticed more retirees, by the way. Yeah, I'm getting that, too. Like in Phoenix, we had a lot of retirees that were were driving as that was their (laughs) retirement income. But um, yeah, so them, the delivery drivers are are a big struggle. And then the new micro mobility stuff. So the scooters, uh, the dockless bikes, the e-bikes, they just I saw one yesterday that came out in the news that um, Bird is putting out a two seater bike that's electric. And when you look at it, it looks like a little dirt bike. And so we're going to have those in our cities and campuses coming around. And so those want to be at the curb, too. Wow. And so every time that gets added to the curb, we lose parking spaces. And so the old school people that we work with... They're walking space at a minimum, right? And right. Because Because yeah. some of the cities where they've not
0: regulated at all, yeah. they're just everywhere. Yeah. Well, you go to Westwood in L.A., it's like these scooters are just everywhere. They are. They're literally.
1: they and so, like, in, in Charlotte, they're trying to do a, a pilot right now. Charlotte, Omaha, and Detroit are doing a pilot with Passport where um, they're, they're, they're trying to dynamically price where you park it. So if you park it in the wrong place, it costs you more than if you park it in the right place. I think Long Beach is doing something like yeah. that now. where There's actually painted areas on the sidewalk. Yeah. That actually, that's where they have to be parked. Well, And, and they, can, they can set them up if, if the scooter companies are playing ball they can set it up so you can't even disengage your transaction unless it's in that geofence spot, which is great because then you get more revenue out of it if you're one of those people and it changes behavior. That's where you get people to change their behaviors, hitting them in the pocket. But again, all of this is taking away on-street parking and, and people are struggling with it. I was at a conference in Pennsylvania about two years ago and the keynote said, we have to protect our parking spaces. And I'm like, well but we can't, like it's an onslaught coming from all these different directions. You have to think about how you monetize these other things so that when you lose parking spaces, it's okay. And then yesterday, the keynote here at IPMI, I actually heard the directors for LA, uh, Miami, and New York talking about it. And they were talking about parking being the lowest priority along the curb, which is the first time I've heard that. I was shocked that they would actually say that at this conference, but that's where we're getting to. Like all these other things are happening and that's where we're trying to get our clients to think differently. It's not about the parking anymore. It's about all these other things you're doing. Well, monetizing the deliveries and be able to monetize those different pieces for, rightfully so, for
0: managing that, that curb space appropriately so there's good use there. I mean,
1: it makes all the sense in the world. Right. Well, and you think about how we've traditionally monetized those things. It's, it's buying a permit to use the loading zone. Yeah. So imagine you sell a $150 permit to somebody to use the loading zone and you boil that down to how many times they use it. They're paying about 10 cents per transaction for the whole <laughs> year. If we could monetize it per transaction, it might speed up the delivery. It might make them think about when and where they deliver. And it's a better revenue stream and data stream to go back into our pockets to help us plan for the future.
0: So once you have the program in place, then enforcement comes in afterwards yes
1: and so it's got to have some teeth in it. it does so a lot of places they're doing this where the enforcement for violating a loading zone or violating a passenger loading zone the 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 value of that citation is quadruple or triple of a traditional citation because wow. you've got to you've really got to hammer home that you you got to change that behavior well you've got like like five percent of the space available that they have for regular parking so i mean it's more valuable. It is more valuable, and, and you don't want um, you don't want anybody just driving up. So like D.C., we, we were studying D.C., um, and they rolled out monetized curb payment uh, using their pay-by-phone app. Um, and you could drive up and engage a transaction, and the cost was roughly the same as what it was to park on street. And what they found were people were parking their cars in the loading zones and paying because they thought they could do that. So the other thing of it, not just the citation, but the cost of parking there has to be has to be higher because the transaction is going to be 15 minutes, 10 minutes. So you want that 15 minutes to be the same cost as parking for an hour on street to disincentivize people from driving up because they're looking for the the least pain point to find a parking spot and get out and go. D.C. parking rates have always been low in general. I don't know what it is, but. All municipal parking rates are low in general. Yeah, that's like correct. It, it's, it's tough because, like, we did work with Seattle at their performance-based pricing program, and, and they did a really good job of really escalating rates, but council kind of holds them to 4 or $5 sure. an hour. And in reality, market-based price for that parking should probably be $10 an hour. Um, and you want to influence people to park off street instead of parking on street, so there's more available. So that spaces. Rate, the rate supposed to be higher, right? But you can't get higher than the private sector who raises their rate. So it's 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 a cat and mouse game that we can never get ahead of. Well, then
0: as long as you're using single single meters, yeah, I,
1: I expect people to have change on them or something. It's all credit cards now. But. It is. It is mostly, but we, we It's amazing. We still have a lot of people paying with cash and and coin. And uh, I'm still <laughs> in 2019 amazed that people have like bags of coins in their car that they used to feed the meter i can't imagine yeah right it's crazy it's crazy so yeah wow so
0: so that's a really good kind of like right now discussion these are like real things that are happening today like what's the future stuff that people are wanting to work on that maybe not necessarily be the right time to start doing it like what like we've talked about this quite a bit on the show right but there's this dystopian future where i'm don't even have windows in my car and I'm just sleeping or watching a movie or talking on the phone. I don't even have a steering wheel, like all that you've seen, you've heard all the gimmicky
1: oh. stuff, right? So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's every presentation that's happening right now. Yeah, I know. That, You it's, know, it's, in, it's, in one year we're going to have autonomous vehicles <laughs> and I'm like, that is – that's where we're going, and, and and you know, the industry is is really interested in, you know, what does that future look like, and and more so, what does that do to a parking professional? Because – You know, uh, I like to think of it in a different way, too. I,
0: I, I try to – I'm trying to think about how I can provide value along the way in that journey, right? Because that's really the question. I'm, I'm not – if I start playing defense to where I'm trying to protect my my job or my role or my industry, then I'm going to lose. You're already lost. Yeah. 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 So I – in my mind, I'm thinking about, okay, that 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 picture that's out there is very clear. It actually is, right? Yeah, it is. Because and it, it's going to happen. It, yeah. it will happen. Yeah. It'll take a long time to get at scale. I think, that's right. It's going to happen. Yep. But I'm more interested in the milestones that happen over the every year that moves us towards it, and then how I can how I can provide
1: value along the way with that. Well, and that's that's exactly right. So, I. I I agree. Autonomy is going to happen. We're going to have cars with no steering wheels. I'm, I cannot wait for the day that I can sit in the back and watch Netflix. And, I'm so excited. Yeah, for it's me, great. So. We do a lot of road trips, <laughs> my wife and I, and like about halfway through every one of them, I'm ready for the autonomous vehicle right now. Well, I'm tired of driving. Watch how much plane flights. Yeah. Would stop would that's, slow down. That's if right. All of a sudden that's something would be disrupted. Like if That's right. Well, yeah, and we don't think about these things. Like Blockbuster didn't think about going out of business in the nineties when no. when all this but it, it's going to happen and the people that are going to be disrupted don't even know they're going to be disrupted yet. But the outcome of autonomy, like I don't think we really know what the outcome is yet, right? And I, I like to tell our clients like we have we have two outcomes potentially. You know, there's the the, the utopian model which is none of us own cars anymore and we're all sharing cars and you get out of a car on the curb and I jump in and that car never stops moving. It's electric, it's not polluting. Um, And in that world, parking is definitively influenced. The curb, parking goes away. Um, We're parking people further away. We're parking our vehicles further away. There's this other outcome though that really like terrifies me, which is autonomous vehicles are affordable and we all buy them because we want to own our own autonomous vehicle. And so you go to work and it drops you off and it's cheaper for it to just drive around throughout the day than it is to park it or to send it back home
0: or it's so, gonna go park in suburbia
1: somewhere right or. so we've got this zero occupant vehicle and in my transportation planning career for the entirety of my career we've been trying to rail against single occupant vehicles like get in a car with somebody else like uber and lyft are supposed to solve that but if we go to zero occupant vehicles now we've just got a bunch of congestion leading to everywhere so so we don't I know. i never what the, even thought about it this way. It, it creeps me out, man. That's the thing that gets me scared at night. It's like I, we're gonna we're gonna have this weird, um, Jetsons like society with just cars flying around everywhere. But, but, <laughs> but, so yeah. To your point though, like it's the steps along the way that get there, right? So I tell our clients like, if you really want that utopian outcome. These are the steps you have to take today. You have to create policy that disincentivizes car ownership, that disincentivizes driving by yourself, that encourages ride share and encourages that shared model. Um, and if we do all of those things today, which we're doing, again, we go back to Uber Lyft, we go back to the micro mobility, by embracing those things and bringing them into the fold and into our programs, we're changing the end game. And so we get there. So the, 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 the general uh, speaker on, on uh, Monday, he he talked about autonomous vehicles, and he was convinced that everything is going to be this shared fleet model. Brilliant guy. He's been doing it for a long time, um, but but we don't know. And if we don't we, really know. We don't. And if we don't influence that outcome, we we might not get what we want. So
0: you know, one of my I and I've talked about this before too, but one of my favorite like moments to go back to is when like when, when home home PCs started becoming at scale, and next thing you know, we're buying things online, and that yeah. became possible. So like in like the late '90s, they said that 95 percent of shopping was gonna by in like the next five years, like by 2008, 2010, or whatever it would be, that almost all shopping would be done online, only. Yeah. And there wouldn't even be retail stores right. and malls and all those
1: things. So you fast forward, you know, 20 years from that moment, and now we're at like 25, 30 percent. We are, and and you've seen some proliferation of that where some of the brick and mortar retail have gone out, but those that that can compete and play in both spaces. Are the ones that have survived well the ones
0: that haven't innovated are the ones that have gone away right when right. it's be, when it's really just been
1: a commodity at a store with no other added value that's right then well you, you look, look at Walmart right like I would have guessed that Walmart would have been the one that was gobbled up by Amazon I would have guessed that their brick-and-mortar model would that's be why they have a supermarket portion they do but they also do online yeah. so you can buy online they compete head-to-head with Amazon. Yep. You can do pre-order pickup. So they've adapted. The people have said, okay, we're not gonna be able to keep doing business the way we've always done it. We're going to adapt. You know, Best Buy is the interesting one to me. Yeah. Well, they've,
0: just, they've got their prices the same as, you can't get it any cheaper. That's right. Um, and
1: you get to satisfy all those uh, those impulse. That's right, that's <laughs> right, yeah. But I mean, they, they survived. And just like that, parking will survive. Um, what it ju- form? It, it just will be a different form. We, we have to adapt. Um, And it's interesting because you look at I've I've been intrigued at this conference this week about how like some of the operators have evolved. Right. So the traditional operators who operate in the I sell you a leased parking space world are probably going to be the ones that don't survive this whole thing. But the ones that have adapted and start bringing in, you know, transient shared parking and opportunities to increase revenue and share with the community around them. And become these mobility hubs and bring in those other things that they're dealing with. Those are the ones that are adapting well right now, um, and I think they'll survive. I've talked to some ones that really get it too, like like they understand that they're
0: you know the stewards of uh, of space or an asset for a city, and that um, they just want to try to make sure in a in an easy way that that space is they're
1: part of the that space is part of that transaction. That's right. In some way. That's right. Absolutely. So yeah. Um, and they're collaborating really well with the people around them. It, it, it's, it's encouraging to see um, it moving because the I think one,
0: the ones playing defense will lose. Yeah.
1: And, and, and five years ago, when we were starting this conversation in the industry, you know, I would have guessed there were a lot of them that would have just put their head in the sand and, and stuck in place and, and not moved. It's move. still there. It is there, but it's, yeah. it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Like we're adapting really, really well. So I mean, just so I've been at the, the
0: show, obviously, you know, in, in a booth all week. You can tell by the question, the line of questions and where so where someone's at. Yep. Exactly where they're at in their head. Like whether they're, you know, still kind of stuck in the way it used to be or whether they're actually thinking about the way it could be. That's right. And the way it
1: should be. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So so it, it is
0: encouraging. Yeah. So do you usually try to, like when they start talking about preparing for an autonomous vehicles today, do you kind of pull them back from that I a d- little I bit? I, I, <laughs> I, let them, I let them
1: play in the world of dreaming okay, for yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. And then I say, okay, but that's. That's five, 10, 15 years down the road. Let's talk about today and what we can actually change today. Um, And one of the things I've been trying to do with our clients and our studies is, you know, when I started, everybody wanted to think 15 years out and I'm trying to rein them in to think about three years out because we don't know what's going to happen three years from now. So let's really focus on the things that we can influence. Let's really focus on the things that can change and that we know have changing dynamics. Um, And then let's think about what, what those next five years could look like and give you options to grow with. So, um, we've stopped trying to be, you know, the future forecaster that, that help, helps you figure out what the next 20 years looks like, because none of us can actually see that. So do you, are you working with aggregators at all? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. We're seeing, we're seeing some of the the data aggregators and, and what the ones that I'm seeing be successful are, are moving again from just parking data aggregators to, to mobile mobility and parking aggregation okay. to get everything together. Um, it's, it's tough because I mean, you're on the technology side of our industry. Like it's, um, there's a lot of big players in the industry and, and there's not been a lot of aggregation of, of end data streams and things like that over the years. And so I think the hard
0: part right now is the, with the economy doing as well as it is, there's a ton of VC money that's being pumped out there. And a lot of these companies are not profitable today. Nope. And, uh, you know, when, the when, when things finally do kind of pull back a little bit and I don't see any reason why they will anytime soon, but they will at some point. They will. Uh, I think we'll really see who's kind of left standing there because that, all that VC money will just it'll just stop.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I had somebody come. This was like two or three years ago here at, at IPI, and they came and they you know, we went to invest in a, a pay by phone company. Which one do you suggest? <laughs> and I said, well, this is what I would do. I would walk around the floor and write down all the names, and then I would come back next year and see and if who's they're still here. here. <laughs> I would write those names down and then come back a year from then because it, it's. At that point, we had a flood of people creating apps and creating phone sure. And then, you know, a handful of them have, have, have remained. And the same thing will happen with data aggregators, data collection, those types of things. So I'm
0: mostly excited about voice. Yeah? I think that's the next green field for app development. Like, I, I think when it comes to it, I, I want to be able to literally be at home and just be like, you know, hey, Google, hey, Alexa, whatever. And say, I'm, I want to go to dinner tonight. Here's what I want. Here's where I want to go. Or give me some options, and oh by the way, can you arrange parking? That's right. Within like
1: five hundred feet, yeah, thousand feet of where I'm going to be, yeah. And Let uh, me prepay for it, yeah. So all I got to do is drive up, the gate goes up, and I go in. Yeah, we're um, not that far away from that. So. I, I think we're, I think we are pretty close. To yeah, that.
0: that'll be good when that happens.
1: So. Yeah. So it, it's it's interesting, but and I think you, know, Amazon, Alexa, Google, the ones that are driving kind of how we make decisions in our life nowadays because they're feeding us information. Those become the the proxies for doing that, right? Like, I don't think it's going to be a smartphone vendor here at the show. No, no, no. It's going to be data going yeah. into Google Maps that tells us where to go and how to get there and where to park. Well, the 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 app store within Amazon Alexa, like the Alexa app store.
0: I mean, that's right now that's 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 the hot place right now. Right. And and it's really weird because it's intangible. You can't see it. You're not looking at it. But there's an entire just it's like, so just like when Apple was released and the app store came out, there's this entire like you know development app place all around voice that's right and do you have a do you have one of those devices in your We own? do not yeah so yeah. so once you do, you'll be surprised how much you actually communicate with it, and the sole reason you do is because it reduces friction
1: that's right, yeah,
0: I tell it to set an alarm, I tell it to you know do a math problem yeah do a math problem or something if you really wanted to or you know play a song or That's whatever right. it is yeah. so i think it's those friction reducing technologies that really end up winning in that situation and i'm excited for the for the parking to have a voice apps and that sort of
1: thing. i yeah i think we will be there soon and it'll be yeah. in car and things like that so it'll be that yeah it'll be really cool it'll be great yeah <laughs> well this
0: has been great man any uh Anything else we want to cover before we uh, hop off here?
1: No, I, th- I think this has been fun. I I, I do. Again, I said it at the beginning that this is exciting to be doing this, and uh, I, I'm awful proud that you're doing this for the industry. So, so thank you. Yeah, it, yeah that's man. really no, cool. It's been
0: fun. I'm having a good
1: time. Yeah, and. Uh, for those that don't know, Lester and I have, have dove together before and uh I was actually the dive master when Lester got certified. And, uh, so um it's good to see you doing this, good to see you doing that. I enjoy it. So we gotta thanks, get out man. diving soon. We do have to get out diving. I, I live
0: I, in oh, I'm, I'm coming.
1: I live in Charleston now, man. I know, need to get I'll over there. there, get on the subway <laughs> trains. Let's do it. That'll be cool. Yeah. Thanks again, man. Thank yep. you. Yep.
0: Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. Um Again, we're really enjoying uh, doing all this, and uh, we really hope you're getting value from it. So please rate it, please provide feedback, and uh, please share it. Thanks.